welcome to the Lawyer Life Podcast, where we seek to navigate our days with a little less stress and ideally a lot more fulfillment. In this season four, we focus on big ideas that will change our profession. On today's episode, we discuss the legacy of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. We pay tribute to a life full of thinking and achieving big ideas. I'm Mike Anderson. And I'm Darlene Tonelli. Hello, Darlene. Good morning. How are you? I am fine. How are you? I'm okay, thanks. I'm looking forward to having some time to honor Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg today on our podcast. Absolutely. We just posted an episode this week. Uh, We recorded on the day that Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed, um, hours before it was announced. And so we thought it fitting, um, given the gigantic legacy that she has in the legal world, that we spend a whole episode talking about um, her life, the things that she fought for, the big ideas that she had that wound up bearing fruit. Um, and really, it, it's hard to think of a better person to spend a whole episode discussing these things. Right. And for new listeners of the podcast, we started this project to focus on the personal, professional, and sometimes political lives of lawyers, right? So she, her life is just a great... Um, walking through what her path was, is such an important reflection of how tied those three things are, especially for lawyers. And just a reminder of the the immense power of a law degree when wielded, you know, in service of justice, right? Speaking of reminders, let's remind everybody about how her life unfolded. Ruth Bader Ginsburg was born in Brooklyn as a child of immigrants. She married Martin Ginsburg, her husband of 56 years, shortly after graduating from her undergrad at Cornell. While she was pregnant with her first child, Ginsburg was demoted in her job at a social security office. Discrimination against pregnant women was still legal in the 1950s. After having her second child, she became one of nine women accepted at Harvard Law of a class of 500. She transferred to Columbia Law School as Marty got a job as a tax lawyer in New York. And despite finishing top of her class, Ginsburg did not receive a single job offer after graduation. She would later say, not a law firm in the entire city of New York would employ me. I struck out on three grounds. I was Jewish, a woman, and a mother. So she studied Swedish civil procedure and later published a book on the subject in 1965, became a professor at Rutgers Law School, and then in the early 70s, co-founded the Women's Rights Project at the American Civil Liberties Union, the ACLU. As the director of the ACLU's Women's Rights Project, she argued six gender discrimination cases before the Supreme Court between 73 and 76, winning five of those six cases. All told, through that Women's Rights Project and related ACLU projects, she participated in more than 300 gender discrimination cases by 1974, and her work led directly to the end of gender discrimination in many areas of the law. She was appointed to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit by Jimmy Carter in 1980. She was the second woman on the Supreme Court, appointed by Bill Clinton in 1993. As we know, she's ruled on some immense issues in the United States, which we'll get to in this episode. And she passed away on Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year. And from what we've read, it's viewed as a blessing, and that only the most righteous souls pass on Rosh Hashanah. Her decisions at times were not without controversy, But today, we're focusing on all the positive she brought to the world and to our profession. What a life lived.
should we talk about the big ideas that we've kind of seen her focus on in her life and in body? Yes. Okay. We should definitely talk about that. It's uh, it's a phenomenal a phenomenal life, you know, when yeah. you, when you really try to put together a podcast limited to the time that we try to keep our podcast within. So, the first big idea that we want to focus on with RBG is that you can be a small and understated person, a consensus builder, but still be powerful and a force. And that power doesn't always need to look or sound the way we are conditioned to hear it or see it, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. I love it. I love, as I think I've mentioned many times on this podcast, being a shorter male myself, love short people, will always love short people. (laughs) (laughs) It is my chief bias, I say. I immediately love anyone who's under 5'6", for sure. Uh, (laughs) RBG is five foot. um, And, uh, you know, not physically or even, um, you know, by manner of speaking or presence in a room, you know, an individual that screams through stereotype powerful, right? But she definitely was. Yes. And when you read about things like her friendship with Justice Scalia and how, you know, she worked really hard, who's obviously a very conservative justice who would not have obviously shared a lot of her views. Yeah. Um, I think that's one of the more interesting things about this, this idea of the power of consensus building. Uh, what, who knows behind closed doors, how, how that social capital, as I would call that, or that, that impulse to befriend someone on the other side of the aisle, who knows how that affected and shaped some of these decisions over the years? Who knows um, whether that maybe it didn't affect him, but maybe it brought the other justices on side. You know, I think that's a really, takes a very strong person to reach across the aisle and look past someone's political beliefs and befriend them. And what a message for today's politics. A great model, an important model, as you're saying, for the way things are today with the polarization we see and and the um frankly i almost feel like it's easier well and, and it, maybe not just specific to modern day but it's very easy to just discount somebody who who does have different views than you right um mm-hmm. and it's i think a, a real show of her confidence strategic thinking level of power is that she was willing to do that and 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 saw that as important and I think that does bring along some real advantages. Credibility is a huge one to me. I mean, if mm-hmm. um, if you look at someone like RBG and you see her as a very close friend to Scalia and I think Robert Bork as well, that it's very hard to discount her. Then, right? What you do when you when you have those close friends and and, and peers that you bring in that might have other views is that you start to understand them. They start to understand you and, and folks around them start to understand you as well. And so it keeps the door open, mm-hmm. which I think is really, um, really an important thing. I think as well on the side of typical displays of power, especially in our profession. And I think in certain areas more so possibly than others, but that like grandiose chest out, yelling sort of lawyer bravado that I think a lot of people think 
to be imperative to success in this profession. She so shows that's not true. And if anybody is evidence that knowing your stuff, being substantive, considering what you're saying and the arguments you're putting forward and and all those things, that's what wins the day in the end, right? Like you can be a yelling bravado person as much as you want. And maybe on one negotiation or one case, maybe that works for whatever reason. But long-term, you're not going to have a legacy like she does unless you actually practice this rigor and discipline and love for the law and the constitution and, and all these things that she had. And honestly, patience, right? Like I think I think sometimes when I look at uh, when we're trying to advance things in society now, our generation is very impatient. Sorry, Darlene, our generations. Uh, just, our generations. Just, <laughs> separate generations <laughs> is all I'm saying. Just so it's clear that Mike is the youth on the pod. Um, you know, Jen... Gen X, I suppose I am, um, a number of generations, everyone since Ruth Bader Ginsburg, let's, let's call it that. Um, we are sometimes impatient about getting our point across and getting, a rea- getting an immediate response. And I think the early uh, women fighting for gender equity were very, they had to be slow and plodding in some ways. And one of the things I read about Ruth Bader Ginsburg that I had not realized is that she had expressed some feeling that um, she wished that Roe v. Wade had come about in a more democratic process so that there could be a bit more consensus and make the the commitment to enshrining abortion rights um, legislated rather than sort of depending on this fragile judicial decision that could be overturned. Um, and I thought that was a really interesting thing because it acknowledges that she was aware of you know the political context of these decisions and the power that she had but also realizing the limits of that power, you know, like if you, if you ram through a change that the society is not ready for, you can get a backlash. And I think she knew that and was trying to design it in that way. And um, I think there's something to be learned from that. I think it, you can't take a lesson out of the seventies and apply it exactly sometimes, but um, her, her way of soft spoken, strategic playing the long game, I think is wildly undervalued in politics today. And if we could just, if we could just look at some of the political heroes that have really, really advanced change, a lot of them have had that approach. It's not easy either though, because um, we have the benefit of looking at her entire tenure as a lawyer and as a, as a judge in justice and seeing the progression and the end result. And I think part of that is this like pop culture status that she's received in the past half decade or so documentaries and mugs and stuffed animals and books is that you we kind of get rbg over the past passage of time and it, it is hard to be a person i think in her position in the early days because um some things might be misinterpreted or just very hard to maybe part of a larger picture that only she sees mm-hmm. um and it takes a lot of bravery and a lot of uh, strength and confidence in yourself and not necessarily listening to everybody barking at you. And and she really embodied those things. And I think that, that we're speaking about her because of, of that character that she had. Yeah, it was also a lot maybe harder to bark at people on minute by minute. <laughs> When she was doing this work, and I, I'm grateful for that. You know, I think yeah. it's very, it's very hard to hold the course in today's 
uh, manic culture. So uh, I really admire it. I think it's there's a big lesson to be learned. And I mean, for me, when I went to law school, um, she was already a judge. And pretty much the entire time that I've been practicing, she's been on the Supreme Court. And uh, she's been very much part of the backdrop and just kind of knowing she's there, uh, knowing that there's someone speaking for this this uh, equity and justice on the court is just so powerful. You know, so all of that work that she did, all of that foundational work to, um, at the time, be, you know, known for her position, but yet welcomed into this fold of power is something, you know, really remarkable, really remarkable for everyone watching, I guess. So that, that's kind of sticking out for me as a big idea, you know. And it also shows her ability to pull back see the forest from the trees, mm-hmm. pause and be like, where are we? Okay, so I get this is the case that's that we're hearing or the case I'm advocating. Um, and it'd be really easy to be so caught up in, I mean, think about all the detail that has to be considered when uh, ruling on the Supreme Court. All that work, all that time, it'd be very easy to have your focus solely targeted on that. But mm-hmm. it feels like she also had the ability to pull back Think about the larger context of all this, which adds in so many other complicating factors um, and consider it all. And that is, again, something I think that we could all draw from in our lives and, and our professional work outside. Like even me, I'm nowhere near being a judge or a justice. But I know that at times I have a task in front of me where the tunnel vision kicks in and the ability to stand back and say, OK, wait, like, where are we? What is what is going on here? What is the overall context? I mean, that is a a, a type of trait and, and big idea in terms of how to practice that is, I think, is key to long-term success. Yeah. Great. Well put. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the second thing that I think we should discuss as part of the personal political of uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is her, she was very publicly with her husband, Martin Ginsburg, part of a shared earning, shared parenting marriage. And it is something that I think is worth noting because I had always had this vision in my mind that um, he, and this is from books I read and uh, things like that. I had, I had this vision that he was really in charge of the home fires and she was out um, as a Supreme Court justice and he was really supporting her career. Interestingly, they both had pretty huge careers, um, but they had just had a commitment from the beginning that they would do it 50-50, which was at the time very, very unusual and um, I, I am twigged to it because I have, I have been, I've read a bunch of books on this topic over the years. There is a book by Anne-Marie Slaughter on this topic that the, the most successful women in society are those who have a very supportive uh, spouse at home. Probably that's true uh, in, in the reverse for men who have a supportive st- spouse at home. Um, but these two make it seem that you could both have a fulfilling career and a 50-50 partnership as long as you're making the decisions to support the other one to move forward. So I think I was very impressed with that. And I I wonder what your thoughts are on that. So my thoughts are, um, I think it's important to say, so let's just pretend RBG was a man. Would we be bringing up his wife's support of his career? You know, I don't know. And I know that the, the context is different and it's important to acknowledge I also just don't want it to seem like when we talk about this, we're taking away any of her um, 
accomplishments and and kind of like giving them to her husband you know like it's it's important obviously that they arrange that way i don't know if she could have married a man who didn't see gender equality in the home as important (laughs) so she was so folk like it wouldn't have been a successful marriage uh so i mean kudos for her to kind of set that expectation and 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 perhaps enforce it or just find a man who believed in it from the outset um but it's it's again a great lesson especially for men listening uh you know we need to do better across the board at home and to support our wives uh careers better or our partners career better um it is great to bring up i just want to be super clear that we're not like throwing a lot uh to marty uh hey good job marty to be supportive i like one of his quotes is said saying that the most important thing he ever did in his own life is enabling Ruth to what she has done. Love it. Love the like supportive outlook. I mean, he lobbied for her to be a candidate to be put to the Supreme Court. Great. Love it. Congratulations, bud. But she did it. And I just want that. Mm-hmm. I just want to, want to want to be clear. On. 100%. I think, though, for women who are looking into the future and thinking, how can I have children and work? I do think that there is um, there is a need to point out that when women uh, are very, very, very successful, they aren't also doing all the other things. And I think that women are more susceptible to that pressure or feeling that, you know, I think we need to be more just open about there are a bunch of different ways a family can run. Um, You don't necessarily need, you know, like I said, he wasn't, I think he is. um, He's like a really accomplished tax lawyer, right? Yeah, he's like an accomplished man in his own uh, right. But I think that when in the modern day, I think that women are just kind of, certainly in my generation, this is probably now a little bit baked uh, for, for the millennials. But um, I know in our generation, there was some confusion about, you know, you go, you have a family, you still do all the things and you're wildly successful in your career. And what Anne-Marie Slaughter's research showed was just that actually, if you really break it down, the women who are really, really successful, like at the top of society, generally have a ton of support from a spouse and at home. Um, And there's a recent article on this that we can link in the show notes, but uh, it's in Marie Claire magazine, and it's called You Marry Your Glass Ceiling. And it talks about the two glass ceilings. So you can have have a marriage that caps your career potential, and you can have a a job in the workplace that caps your career potential, and the two go together. So I think it is, uh, it's worth pointing out that this was happening even back then. Uh, but of course, not to not to give credit, but to say that in any marriage, when there are two egos and two um, law degrees <laughs> uh, in a house, that this was a, an important thing that he did for the country too. Anyway, that's uh, I think it's a big idea just to call out that um, if you want to accomplish great things, it's got to be a team effort if you're part of a team and children are part of your plan, which they were for her. Agreed. Do you want to do the big idea number three? Yeah. I I love this one. (laughs) Use your law degree for good. (laughs) This is great of the time. Um, It's important. So, you know, being on the right side of things, using your power to fight for those who have nothing, those whom the cards are stacked. I remember just when I was in law school, we had one of the um, provincial ombuds people speak to us. And he said, um, I'll just never forget it. He said, try to think of a professional group of people 
who have a greater ability to speak truth to power and and mm-hmm. and tell those who run things that they are wrong legitimate like with reasons mm-hmm. <laughs> um it, it's us like it's lawyers are is that group we could not think of a, of another group of folks um certainly in discrete areas you know MDs would be really great to to say that to people running health and and so on but in the overall um we are we have a power by nature of our understanding of the law and how it works and how it can be interpreted and that is an amazing power uh it can be used for good it can be used for bad and um RBG obviously focused on using her amazing intellect and knowledge and ability and passion and dedication to improve things uh in not only for her country but I, you know there the ripple effects she improved things worldwide um that's because she desired to and i and i think that it, it's hard to do mm-hmm. um not everybody can be a supreme court justice um you know not everybody winds up running a, a progressive program at the aclu but I think we all have times where um, we have the ability to do good or to help something not so good occur. Um, or we have the time to volunteer um, pro bono. We have the ability to, to uh, channel our time through pro, pro bono programs. There's a lot of, there are opportunities um, for all folks in the profession. I think she is somebody who uh, certainly believed in using the power of being a lawyer for good and um, a great example and a motivating example, I think, for that reason. Yes. I don't know if I've ever said this on the podcast before, but I did go to my law school thinking I would become a constitutional litigator for gender. Like My idea was my job will be feminist constitutional litigator. (laughs) And then when I arrived at my law school, Um, I was quite, you know, I would say, we've we've talked about this before on our law school students um, episodes, but, you know, everyone showed up with this view that we would all save the world, we would all be using our degrees in service of justice. And it was almost really a joke at the end to see that actually, you know, 80% of the class went in service of large uh, corporate you know, we most of us ended up at my law school at big corporate firms. Um, kind of the opposite, although with some, yes, certainly opportunities to do pro bono uh, work. But I do think it takes just from day one, like for any law students listening, you, you know, that if that's the reason you're going to law school, that's what we should be, we should do that. <laughs> you know, we should just do it, find a way. And when I look back, I think about the fact that I didn't really realize that 1998, when I started law school, just to really put the... I was in grade eight. Just enough. (laughs) This is a serious episode, and that is, uh, yeah, quite shocking. Um, So I was starting law school, and I did not realize how early in the fight for gender rights it was. You know, I did not realize that all these interests that I had from my undergraduate degree were... Uh, there was still a huge opportunity to make a big, big dent. I really felt like, oh, well, you know, we're, we're good. We got this. You know, the women who are constitutional litigators are here. We've got our female Supreme Court judge. And I think that's that's kind of an example of not realizing that, you know, you we have this ability to help. And 
we should be doing that. And I will fully confess that for me, it just didn't, um, it just felt like the, the more pressing thing was to get rid of all that student debt. And now when I look at what our student debts were back then, as compared to what people are shouldering now, I mean, the, the decision is even harder. So somewhere in us, we just have to find this core truth that's, that says lawyers can do amazing things. Look what Ruth Bader Ginsburg did. Look what these lawyers do who are uh, rushing to the border to save these kids that were put in cages and stuff. I mean, there are a lot of lawyers doing a lot of great work out there. And I think that there are a lot of lawyers that have massive potential and abilities and it's deployed, you know, not in service of equitable ideals. And maybe just this can be a bit of a, a reminder to us of, of what we can do with that, that amazing piece of paper we have. Yeah. And on that note, law students listening, I mean, if, if you've read about her, as I'm sure many of you had early in, her marriage, when both her husband and she were at Harvard, uh, her husband was diagnosed with cancer. She took notes for him in class. She brought up their first child, held down a post on the Harvard Law Review, and worked like all the time. <laughs> and so, because, and she had, uh, who knows if she had the vision at that point, but um, it can be daunting the situations mm-hmm. we're in, but, there, but people get through hard yeah. things. Um, and so there's a light at the end of the tunnel. If you have this drive to do something in the public interest, uh, you know, you, you can, there, you will find a way you can find a way. It's just a matter of what you have to uh, work through to get there. Um, and maybe her legacy could be some motivation for that. And maybe you're not measured on two years. You're measured on 40 or 60 or, you know, like I think. I mean, yeah, and by today's standards, her not getting a major job, a job at a major law firm would be a, it would seem like a colossal failure um, being someone at the top of her class in in current law school context, right? It's not that at all. It, there were things stacked against her. Uh, and as Darlene is saying, we're not judged on the two, three, four years uh, of when we're studying. How different it would have been potentially if she had been a tax litigator, you know, say she had been hired at the, at the big firm and, and she was the tax litigator uh, or they both were, I mean, what a different, it would be different. I and mean, ideally there would be someone else who, who came and, and did the good work, but you can't rely on that. You know, she did the hard work, she did the good work and we're all in a massive debt of gratitude. Um, for the work that she did. So what did RBG mean to you, darling? Oh, man. Like I was saying earlier, I just think that um, for me, women on the highest courts, I have the good fortune to say that women on the highest courts have always been um, present. So in law school, we were reading in, in Canada, we had a female chief justice for a very, very long time. Uh, 17 years, 2000 to 2017, we had uh, our Chief Justice, Beverly McLaughlin, was a huge uh, inspiration to all all lawyers in Canada, frankly. She was a really great Chief Justice. And um, having her at the top of the court kind of made it feel like there was no limit. I mean, that's the highest position in the land. And there were a number of other female Supreme Court justices here, all of whom with the way that our charter works and the the way that our constitution operates, they've all made really important contributions to advancing 
gender rights and bringing balanced views on things. So I've been, it's been really just, I feel the good fortune uh, and not, and I would say not even realizing what good fortune it has been um, to be inspired by and surrounded by so many women who have really achieved these things when it was extremely hard to do so. And now that I see it very much under threat, um, I see this idea that we can just replace Ruth Bader Ginsburg with another woman and we're good. Um, you know, that's not true. <laughs> I think for me, it's, uh, I'd love to see her legacy be honored by replacing her with someone that has a, a similar viewpoint and has a similar uh, ability to, to advocate for equality and justice on the court. And I guess what I would say, what did she mean to me? Just possibility. There's a lot of talk right now, but when you see something, you believe it's possible. I never wanted to be a judge. That's not hasn't been a, a goal of mine. Um, but I really have benefited from seeing female judges out there in, as part of the, the backdrop of the legal profession that I'm in. And uh, I'm grateful for that. How about you? Yeah, for me, I she embodied so many of the qualities of a person of a professional that i so admire and she's kind of a beacon of those things so obviously intellect um restraint i think that like generally supreme court justices are quite disciplined and uh understand where their limits are um and she she certainly embodied that and i think in a very admirable way um, reasonableness, you know, that desire to dig deeper, to understand someone's perspective, to try to find the right answer and result and not necessarily the first one or easiest one. Um, quiet leadership, like there's nothing, I there's nothing more than I love that somebody who is such a leader, but looks for no acclaim um, and does not self-promote and just understands that like the work is important. I'm not the work. I'm not it, but I, I, I'm so dedicated to seeing this through. Um, and I don't need people to hold me up. And um, I think that she just plotted along with her pocket constitution and, <laughs> you know, worked hard. And I, I love that modesty in that same way. She was tough. She's so yeah. tough. You know, taking take listening to oral arguments from hospital beds toward the right. end, dealing with multiple bouts of cancer, you know, scheduling chemo on Fridays so that she could listen to oral arguments on Mondays. Like, this is really, oh my gosh, difficult stuff, hard stuff. Somebody that not something that not a lot of people could do, and she just was so tough. Yeah. Um, incredible and dedicated, obviously related to that. So, um, I mean, I, I think that obviously as well, just her existence, same with, uh, Chief Justice McLaughlin, them being there also, I just set, set an important tone for, um, men as well. I think growing up with that reality, uh, and I, and I'm so grateful for that because, um, it would be it, it just made it harder for for dudes to be dummies and think that only men can be there right it just it, it it wasn't an assumption that we made because we saw that it wasn't true 
Um, and so the presence alone, I think was important for men as well. Um, and, and should be certainly. Um, so we're, we're going to wrap up the episode. Um, the big idea, I guess, you know, this is our big idea season, season four, where we have, uh, interviews and discussions about things that can change the profession. And I suppose today we're encouraging everybody to tap into their inner RBG, uh, in whatever way, uh, I suppose that, that works for, for you all. Uh, we've outlined some of the things that we are motivated, uh, by seeing in her life and perhaps you align with that or you find other things, but if we can all tap into this legal giant, I'm sure that <laughs> the profession would be better for it. For sure. Do you want to hear the quote yes. that I love? Okay. We'll finish with this. Uh, normally we do a next segment with, uh, goods and gripes and, and that's a fun segment. We're going to, we're going to just park that for today. Uh, so we can leave a bit of silence for us to consider RBG's legacy. And the last thing I'll say before I drop the quote is, um, if you're listening and you'd like to make a donation to an organization in honor of RBG, please donate to one of the organizations that supports some of our big ideas, the ACLU, the National Women's Law Center, the Center for Reproductive Rights, Act Blue, or any other organization, uh, listed in our show notes. We have made a donation uh, in her honor to the ACLU as a thank you uh, to all that she contributed to our profession. So uh, this is it. I think this wraps up um, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg very well. Asked by NPR in 2019 if she had any regrets given to the challenges she faced in life, um, Ginsburg's supreme self-belief shone through. And she said, I do think... I was born under a very bright star. Love that. She knew it. She knew that mm-hmm. she had it in her. She had confidence in herself. She believed in herself. She um, she knew she could do it. And that bright star, hopefully a lot of us see in our own lives, uh, shining on us. So there it is. Great quote. Thank you. Okay. Uh, talk we will talk soon. soon.